had asked me to teach class for them this morning. I think they're on vacation. I know there's a lot of families that are on vacation right now because most people have a short week at work this coming week, so take advantage of it, get a long weekend. Um, I did try to scare him a little bit this morning. He texted me about 8.30, and he's like, you do remember you're teaching for me this morning, right? I'm like, wait, what? What are you talking about? <laughs> then I told him I was just kidding. I didn't want to freak him out too bad while they're on vacation. Um, so this morning, I want us to look at something that hopefully is a review for most everybody, but I like having class as interactive as we can. I also tend to dominate a conversation. I know I'm bad about that, sorry. But even though something may be a review for us, why is it good sometimes to review things that we think we have a good grasp on? Absolutely. Wanted them to be in reminder. Yeah, just to make sure that we're still doing it correctly. To remind us of what we know to sometimes maybe teach us something that we didn't realize that we didn't know about something. So one thing I wanted to look at, and I looked at this with the 5th and 6th grade class, um, it might have been a month ago or something, and this is a topic that I told them I was almost ashamed to say that, I mean, I've been a Christian since I was 12 years old, so been a few years now, and I understood what I was supposed to be doing, I've understood since then, but most of my life, I had heard this phrase, obey the gospel. And what did that phrase, obey the gospel, actually mean? What is the gospel? Somebody tell me the gospel. The good news. The word gospel itself simply means good news. So, is it possible to have a lot of things that are considered the gospel? What do you think of when you think of the gospel? The Bible. The Bible itself is good news. What else? The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Would that not have been good news? Is that not good news for us today? Y'all ever heard the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Mark, Gospel of Luke, Gospel of John? I'll be honest, that's what I had always imagined when it talked about obey the Gospel. Well, I need to obey what's written or stuff during the life of Christ. I, for some reason, that's a picture I had in my head. I don't know if I heard somebody say that when I was a kid or what. But I want us to look at what does it mean when the, when the Bible talks about obedience to the gospel and obeying the gospel. So, I'm going to turn to multiple verses. I encourage you all to turn to them as well. I did go ahead and put most of the verses up here. Um, and really, just to make sure, because I didn't know how much time we would have in class. It depends on how long worship service goes. Um, so I didn't want to spend all my time flipping around looking for stuff. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. I'm going to look at several passages that describe the fact that we need to be obedient to the gospel and try to figure out from that how important is it, what does it mean. It says, now I remind you, this is 1 Corinthians 15, this is Paul talking to the church at Corinth. It says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel which I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you were being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you unless you believed in vain. So the gospel. He's going to remind them of the gospel and the gospel is by which they are being saved. So is it important for us to understand what the gospel is? Our salvation is going to be tied to it, right? Alright, so 
Romans chapter 1, verse 16. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation. Again, this is Paul talking to those in Rome. The gospel is the power of God to salvation, for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So again, you have this idea of salvation being tied to the gospel. Whatever the gospel is, all right, it's good news. That's great, but what kind of good news? I mean, I can hear good news all the time. We hear somebody is cancer-free. Isn't that good news? By definition, isn't, is that gospel? Not in the way we look at it from a scriptural standpoint, but it's good news to us. But there's got to be some good news that our salvation is tied to. So what is it really meaning here? First Peter, so this is Peter speaking here. First Peter chapter 4 says, For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So, those who do not obey the gospel, it doesn't sound like there's going to be a very good outcome for them, does it? So we have seen passages from Paul that says the gospel is tied to salvation. And now we're seeing from Peter saying that those who do not obey the gospel, there's judgment coming for them. So what exactly is it we're supposed to be obeying? Obeying. Romans chapter 10, verse 16. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? This one I really want to look at. 2 Thessalonians 1.8. It says, in flaming fire, so it's continuing from the, the verse before it, in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. That's two different categories right there of people. Those who don't know God and those who do not obey God, who do not obey the gospel. Now, I've heard some people say, and, and it's true, the Bible in and of itself is the gospel. The whole thing is good news. We're going to go read the gospel. We're opening the gospel. In order for someone to be a Christian, in order for them to obtain their salvation, do they have to know every single little bitty thing that's in Scripture? Is it possible for all of us, for any of us really, to know every single thing that's in Scripture? I mean, if, if we could, there would be, <clears throat> I would think for some of us, there would come a point to where we don't need to continue studying. Because we know everything, right? I would challenge to say that it's not possible for us to get to where we're going to know everything. I would believe that would take some kind of miraculous dose of knowledge to us today, and we're not going to get that. All right? That's why studying Scripture is a lifelong endeavor. It's something that we push for. We're constantly trying to grow in the Scripture. We're trying to pull meaning from it. We're trying to learn. We're trying to understand how our piece is connected, how are things tied together. So does someone have to basically have a doctorate in theology in order to become a Christian, to know all of this stuff? Well, no. But yet I can know the gospel and obtain my salvation. So does it mean then that someone who doesn't know God and who does not obey the gospel, if those are two different things, you have, it can't be that somebody who just doesn't, obeying God and knowing God, sometimes we, can, we call those the same thing. That's not what this verse is talking about. Those are not the same thing. If so, this is redundant. This would be saying the same people in two different categories. If you don't know God, it's you don't know him. You don't don't have a knowledge of him. You're not aware of him. 
that gets into a, a debate with a lot of people sometimes because they may look at, well, what about people who are living out in the jungles who have maybe never heard of God? And tied back to the lesson this morning that Don was preaching, are we sometimes ungrateful for the fact that we have a very clear knowledge of God in this country? I mean, we grew up in a Christian country, a country who was founded on Scripture that was founded on a belief in God. Now, was every little thing in direct accordance with the Bible and the Lord's church? I'm not getting into that debate. But the simple fact is a knowledge of God and a foundation of what people believe that he wanted is what this country was built on. And so we live in a country where a knowledge of God is very, very common. Can you get to other parts of the world where that's not true? Absolutely. Are we thankful that we live in an area that's like that? Because not everybody gets this. Not everybody gets to have a world that's surrounded by churches. Yes, I understand we're in the Bible Belt. Yes, I understand we're kind of in the belt buckle of the Bible Belt right here. Most of us are going to probably pass at least five, maybe even ten churches between the time we go eat lunch and get home. Some places you drive for hours to find somewhere to go to church. All right? So people who do not know God, I wholeheartedly believe what this is talking about is people who don't know you mentioned somebody God, who's God? Or you mentioned somebody Jesus, never heard of him. We don't have that a lot around this area. And so that's something that's kind of a foreign concept to us. But it, it can't be the same as people who do not obey the gospel. Because people who don't obey the gospel, they've obviously heard what the gospel is. They're just not obedient to it. So those are different things. So, if obedience to the gospel is so important, it's directly tied to our salvation. We're seeing that Paul is telling them that to Corinth. He's telling the church at Rome that. That in order for us to obtain our salvation, we have to be obedient to the gospel. And those who do not obey the gospel, there's vengeance coming to them. There's judgment coming to them someday. So what is that gospel? If somebody comes up to you today and tells you, what do you need to do to become a Christian? What would you say? And... Six or seven short words. Here. Believe. Repent. Confess. Be baptized. And there's always another one we throw on the end. You've got to live faithfully because you can lose your salvation. All right. That's typically the response you're going to hear from most people. If someone comes up and says, what do I do to become a Christian? How do I obtain my salvation? Why don't we say, as part of that, be obedient to the gospel? Is that not what Paul just said? Did Peter not just say that if we don't, then there's vengeance coming? So does that mean that when we've said in our classes, when we're teaching people, that in order for you to become a Christian, you've got to hear the word, you have to believe it, repent, you've got to confess to others that you believe Jesus is the Son of God, and you have to be baptized and then continue living faithfully. Are we missing something there? Or is obedience to the gospel included in that somehow? And if it is, what is it? And again, I'm, I'm hoping this is a review for most people, but like I said, I'll be honest, until really just probably less than five, six years ago, I don't know why, but mentally I never made this connection of what really is it. Is it a massive encompassing thing? Maybe that entire process from when I first hear anything about Scripture, when I first hear 
Jesus all the way up to the point to where I'm now baptized. That entire process culmination together is the gospel. Is that what it is? Because that's all good news, isn't it? But does that correlate with what Scripture is actually telling us? So, let's go back to 1 Corinthians 15. That's why I got up on the board. We looked at the first two verses just a second ago. It said, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel, which I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you were being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Remember, this is Paul speaking to the church at Corinth. He said, I, re- I would remind you of the gospel. Let's read the next two verses. He's getting ready to remind them what that gospel is that they're being saved by. Verses 3 and 4, it says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He is buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with Scriptures. So when Paul's telling the church at Corinth, that the gospel they were being saved by, he's going to remind it. He's going to remind them what it is. This is it. It's the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. It's one of the things we mentioned just a second ago. So how in the world am I going to be obedient to the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ? I mean, that doesn't sound like it's a command to me. Something happened to somebody. How is that commanding me to do something? In order for you to obey something, doesn't there have to be an instruction, be some kind of, of guideline, something for us to, to need to do? So how in the world are we as individuals, we're not there with Jesus, we're not going to be put on a cross next to Him, how can I be obedient to the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ? And it's something that we all need to know because if it's tied directly to our salvation, doesn't that imply then that we could lose our salvation, or never even gain our salvation to start with unless we're obedient to this. So what does this mean? Is it good news that Christ died for us? That He was buried? How important is it on that good news that He rose from the grave? And this one's not a rhetorical question. How important is that? Let's say He, was, he died and was buried, and the resurrection never occurred. What does that mean? Yeah. That Christ couldn't have conquered death. The gates of Hades prevailed. It kept him there. The gates held him in. That means his death, there would have been nothing any more miraculous about his death than our death or anyone else's death. Everyone else dies and is buried. His was different. It's because he rose from the grave. So that part of rising is of significant importance to us as Christians. Without that, everything crumbles. Everything falls apart. So in order for us to be obedient to that, to the death, burial, and resurrection, Paul tells in Romans exactly what that is. Look at this, Romans chapter 6. Do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. According to Paul, we're required to obey the gospel. The gospel is the death, the burial, 
and the resurrection of Jesus. In order for us to obey that, what he's saying here in Romans is we reenact the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And the way that we do that is through baptism. Think about it for a second. Have y'all ever seen this chart before? I apologize, this is kind of small. See if they'll let me. Oh, look, I can zoom in. So, you have Jesus. He died, was buried, and was resurrected. Baptism is basically the exact reenactment of that. What do we do before we are baptized? What, what does death mean? How does it die? How are we dying? Yeah, we're dying to the sinful man. We're dying to ourselves. All right? We're putting off this old man of sin that we used to be. That part of us is going to die. Just like Christ died on the cross, that part of us is dying. Christ was buried. How are we buried? Yeah, we're physically buried underwater. He was buried under earth, underground. Now, granted, yes, it was in a tomb, but he was buried. We are symbolically also buried in water. He rose from the grave. How do we rise? When we are brought up out of the water, we are rising a new creation, a new, a new person. That old person that we used to be is put away, it's dead. We are now rising something new, something wholesome, something righteous, that, and hopefully from that point, continue to live the righteous life that God wants us to live. So, when Paul talks about obedience to the gospel is necessary for your salvation, this is what he's talking about. So, when we tell people that in order for them to become a Christian, you've got to hear the word, you have to believe the word, you have to repent of your sins, confess Jesus, and you have to be baptized and continue living faithfully. Have we left the gospel out of that? Because if 1 Corinthians 15 tells us the gospel is necessary for salvation, is the gospel in that plan anywhere? It's already built in, isn't it? What, what is it? What in that process is the gospel? Now, if you go through that process that's laid out in Scripture, baptism is part of that process. That is the obedience to the gospel that it's talking about. Now, a couple things that we should learn from this. You have a lot of places, a lot of denominations, um, different religious beliefs that will say there's multiple different methods that you can be baptized. What, what are some other ways? We, we say you must be submerged completely underwater. And I wholeheartedly believe that's what Scripture teaches. What are some other ways people say, well, you can be, this is considered a form of baptism? Sprinkling. That you can have water sprinkled over your head, and that's a form of baptism. Now, knowing that baptism represents the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, is that even logical? No. Because at that point, we have not reenacted the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Right? You've literally just had water sprinkled on your head. You're supposed to be buried. What's some other ways that people say is a version of baptism? Pouring. A lot of people will pour water over their head. Now, a lot of times we'll want to point to in Scripture, well, if that was really true, 
then how come the Ethiopian eunuch got down into the water? Why did they go down into the water with Philip? Wouldn't that be a significant inconvenience if they could have just sprinkled water on his head or got a cup and poured water on his head? Why go down into the water, get your clothes wet? He is now soaking wet, having to get back in his chariot and continue going. Did he have a change of clothes? Possibly he's on a trip. But that would have been a huge inconvenience to have physically got down into the water. And we use things like that to try to prove to people, no, it's baptism is physically going under the water. This right here is the proof we need. If we're going to be obedient to the gospel, we're told in Romans that the gospel is the reenactment of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So therefore, the only thing that logically even makes sense is a full submersion underwater. Exactly, it's a, it's a perfect point. It's brought up for those of you who couldn't hear that. It's saying, why would... John have said then that they went to baptize where there was much water. The reason you need much water is because you're physically going to be submerged in the water. Okay? Now, I don't want to just kind of beat a dead horse over that, but I, that's something I think is important that all of us grasp this concept. That when you hear somebody say, you must obey the gospel, baptism is what that is referring to. Make sense? All right. Now, a couple other things I want to look at. And this is where I told Chris, I hope this works. Isn't that cool? I can draw on the screen. All right, so I know, sorry, I'm a nerd like that. Technology, I think, is cool. Um, Let's say that you're studying with somebody. and, And you try to walk them through that whole process of what it means to obey the gospel. The, the reenactment of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And for some reason, something's still not clicking. Maybe even with, with some of you. Maybe it's still not clicking that we're not putting those pieces together. All right? Well, first thing I would encourage you, there are like little postcard kind of things out on that evangelism table that walks through that entire process right there where it shows Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection and has a, a person overlaid on it showing the baptism process. Take one of those, stick it in your Bible. All right? That's what that stuff's out, for, out there for. Take it, stick it in your Bible. If you're ever studying with somebody, you have a visual aid. You can sit down right in front of them. Basically the same thing we just showed. Now, what if someone still isn't connecting those dots? Turn over to Ephesians chapter 1. These I don't have up on the board because if I put these up on the board, I can't draw something. And I wouldn't feel like a cool person. It's kind of like we've, we've gone back to where I'm not old enough yet to, to be past the point in school when they didn't have the uh, little dry erase things, projectors, chalkboards, and all that. It's kind of what I feel like. We've gone back to that. It's just all electronic now. All right, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. All right, it says, blessed, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So, let's say that we have... There we go. We have a circle. And this circle is Christ. All right? Now it says here that every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places is in Christ. So inside this circle is all the spiritual blessings. Does that mean 
Where do I have to be at in order to obtain access to spiritual blessings? In Christ, right? Does that mean, can I obtain any spiritual blessings out here? No. So in order for me to obtain those spiritual blessings, I need to be in Christ. That's what we're told in Ephesians. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Second Timothy chapter 2, look at verse 10. It says, Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. So according to Second Timothy, what is also in here is salvation. Right? So, where do I have to be in order to obtain salvation? I've got to be in Christ. Right? Does that mean, then, that I can still get my salvation if I'm out here? No. Alright? So, in order for me to obtain spiritual blessings, and in order for me to obtain salvation, the Scriptures say I have to be in Christ. So, what should be our logical question we want to ask then? How do I get from right here into there? How does it happen? How do I get in Christ? Fortunately, the Bible tells us that. It doesn't leave us wondering. It doesn't leave us guessing. It doesn't leave it up to some organization or some board of trustees or something else to try to figure out how I'm going to get to that. The Bible tells us plainly how we're going to get there. Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3 verse 27. It says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So how do I get into Christ? It's baptism. Baptism is how I get from right here into there. It's baptism. So, if someone wants to teach and say that baptism is not necessary for salvation, well, doesn't the Scriptures say that salvation is found in Christ? That means the salvation can't be out here. I can't get access to that salvation outside of Christ. I can't get access to the spiritual blessings outside of Christ. In order for me to get into Christ, that is what baptism does. It puts you into Christ. Where salvation is at, where the spiritual blessings are at. Does that make sense now when it says that we must obey the gospel in order to obtain our salvation? Because what is obedience to the gospel? It's the reenactment of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Isn't that what baptism is? You're reenacting the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. That means obedience to the gospel puts you into Christ. Does that make sense? What I'm hoping we're doing here is we're taking different things that we hear talked about sometimes, and I'm hoping to show the connection between all these things. 
all these things are connected together. Right? They're not all some different concepts. Well, you can't say over here you've got to obey the gospel, and over here you've got to be baptized, and over here you've got to do this, and over here... What if I say you've got to be a member of the church in order to obtain your salvation? Can I say that? I can, but has anything we've read so far say you have to be a member of the church in order to obtain your salvation? I haven't read that yet. Let's go look at that. So, Ephesians chapter 5. I was afraid I wouldn't have enough stuff to get all the way through the time. We've got about six minutes, so we may finish up right on time. Ephesians chapter 5, and let's look at verse 23. It says, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body. So if we're being put into Christ, where salvation is obtained, where spiritual blessings are obtained at, so the only place we can get them is in Christ, what does it say his body is? It's the church. The church is his body. And so if I were to erase this, and I were to write church right here, would I have changed anything? No. The body of Christ is the church. It's the exact same thing. So, on this diagram, these two words can be used interchangeably. I need to get into Christ where spiritual blessings and salvation is found. I need to get into the church where spiritual blessings and salvation is found. Now, some out in the world will say, well, in order for me to be part of the church, I've got to be voted in. Okay? That you can be baptized and you can become a Christian and you can obtain your salvation, but in order for us to accept you in as part of this church, we're going to vote on whether or not we want to allow you to be part of the Lord's church. Is that what Scripture teaches? Ephesians chapter 1. And this is kind of following back up with that. Ephesians 1, and 23 says, And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body. So that's kind of reinforcing what we had talked about. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Sorry, I know I'm jumping around here a little bit. That's why I'm also reading them all instead of asking you all to read. So everybody's not flying all over the place. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Let's start reading in verse 12. It says, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body. Jews and Greek, slave or free, we're all made to drink one spirit. So in order for us to become members of the body, which the scriptures just said, the body of Christ is the church. So that very easily could have just said, for just as the church is one and has many members, and all the members of the church, though many, are one, so it is with Christ. The church and the body are the same thing. All right? So when it says then in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, it says, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. We were baptized into the body, which is the church, which is Christ, 
where all spiritual blessings are obtained, where salvation is obtained. So when you hear people talk about, well, you have to be a member of the church to be a Christian, that's exactly right. That's what the Bible teaches, because the church is the body of Christ. In order for me to get my salvation, I have to be a part of the church. In order for me to get my salvation, I have to be part of the body of Christ. And how do I become part of the church? How do I become part of the body of Christ where I can get access to these spiritual blessings and salvation? It's baptism. It's the obedience to the gospel. So when we say baptism right here, we can just as well write, obey the gospel. Because they are one and the same thing. There is nothing different between obedience to the gospel and baptism. Does that make sense? I'm hoping what this is doing is taking different concepts that we hear all the time and showing that they're not complete, independent concepts of each other. It's not like Scripture is teaching different things. Well, I don't want to become part of the Lord's church and become a Christian. I just want to obey the gospel. You can't do one without the other. They're the same thing. Yes. Yep. So for those who maybe couldn't hear, tie back to Romans 6, verse 17. It says, But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to, yours says the form of doctrine. I'm reading from the ESV. It says the standard of teaching. But what it's talking about there, that form of doctrine, that standard of teaching, is what was referred to earlier back in Romans 6. All right. Now, I know that was the end of class. That was the bell. Any questions before we get out of here? I'll take that as a no. You all have a great Sunday afternoon. Thank you.